All right, well, there's a title for you as you're settling, Who Am I? Who Am I? Part 3, Ephesians 1, from 3 to 14. Well, uh, it's, it's another new year. Welcome to 2022. Here we go. I think it is safe to say that uh, Western Australians are sitting on the edge of their proverbial seats, aren't they? Waiting to see what effect COVID will have when our Supreme Commander, Mark McGowan, opens the borders sometime who knows when. Now, although this message this morning has got nothing to do with COVID per se, this message is going to put the chaos of COVID into something of a perspective, but that's for the end. Uh, if, if you were here for our Christmas Eve and our Christmas uh, uh, Day uh, services, we asked the question, who am I? Who am I, part one? And I hope that you remember that the answer that came out was, I am the worst sinner saved. That's who God says that you are if you're a Christian. You are the worst sinner saved. We followed that up on Boxing Day. Uh, that was last Sunday. We asked the question, who am I, part two? And if you remember, there were three things that came out. I am pardoned, I am forgiven, and my son said to me, it's not a word, but I made it up, I am mercied, I am mercied. Well, this morning we're going to have a look at who am I, part three, part three, and you'll be able to fill that word into that gap in just a moment. Let me ask you this question. I think it's coming up on the screen. What would you say, if there is one, what would you say is the greatest gift of grace that you can receive from Christ? Just think about it for a moment. What would you say is the best of the best? Like, if you could pick one. I mean, they're all awesome. They're all wonderful, aren't they? Which one's the best? Which is the best of the best? Which one is the premier gift, if there is one? Which one is the ultimate gift, if you could pick one? Now, if you've got your Bible open and you want to run your eye through the passage, just about every gift of grace is mentioned in that passage. Did you see it when Mark read it for us? Let me just point out five of them to you. Notice in verse 5 that by grace we are adopted as sons and daughters of the, of the living Father. One gift of grace that we receive from Christ through His blood is that we are now into a relationship where we can call God Father. He's our compassionate and loving Father where we call Him Father and Jesus is our brother. That's why J.I. Packer says adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers because you cannot get any higher than being a son or daughter eternally. But I want to ask the question, adoption, is that the highest gift? Is that the best? Is that the, is that the ultimate? What do you think? Well, have a look at the passage. There's another one, uh, who am I, my adopted. Have a look at verse 7, where, and we've looked at that in some measure, that in Christ we have redemption through His blood. Uh, redemption is the gift of grace that where we've been bought out of slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to death. Have a look at Romans 6.18. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Same passage, verse 22. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. 
We ask the question, who am I? I am adopted. Who am I? I am redeemed. Is that the best one? Hmm. Well, let's keep going. Number three in that passage, and again, we've, we've touched on it over communion, is we've got the forgiveness of sins through his blood, through the shedding of his blood, through his death on the cross, through his sacrifice for us. We have forgiveness of our sins. And it's not just the past sins. It's not just the present, but it's the future ones as well. When Christ died on that cross, it is done. It's finished. Tetelestai in Greek, it is complete. All of it, past, present, future, every sin you've ever committed has already been forgiven. Holy smoke. Who am I? I am? You reckon that's the best one? Redeemed, adopted, forgiven? Maybe we should do a bit of a survey. Let's go to number four. Have a look at verse 14, where it says that we have been guaranteed our inheritance. One of the gifts of grace is that you get an inheritance. And if you ask what's the inheritance, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 helps us. Peter says that our inheritance has been kept in heaven for us, where it cannot spoil, perish, or fade. In 1 Peter 1 verse 8, our, 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 our inheritance is the salvation of our souls. If you went into Romans 8, Paul says that our inheritance is in fact our, the redemption of our bodies. Brothers and sisters, here's a gift of grace for you. Here's your inheritance. You are going to receive a brand spanking new body in Christ. It is the resurrection of your body. You'll be resurrected into a body that cannot sin, cannot fail, cannot decay, cannot die, can't do anything against God, can only glorify God forever and ever and ever. Wow. Hmm. Who am I? I'm resurrected, I'm resurrected, I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven. Which one's your favorite? Let me give you another one. When you believed, chapter 1, verse 13 of Ephesians, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, holy canonies. I mean, a gift of grace that when you believe in Christ, you receive the third member of the Trinity. You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the, the paraclete, the comforter, the convictor. You receive the presence of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what you get. Who am I? I'm filled. I'm filled with the presence of Christ. Do you think it could get any better than that? Hmm. Now, here's the thing. Just as we're starting to move towards this, they're all yours in Christ. Every single one of them is yours. It's not like when you believe in Christ and come to Christ that you get some of them, you get some of them later. They're all yours. They're all yours. By faith in Christ, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are and will be resurrected, you are filled, you are justified. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there's one that tops them all. There is a best of the best. There is an ultimate. There is a premier one. There is one that puts them all into perspective. It's one that if we didn't have that one, we wouldn't get any of the others. It's in the passage. I wonder if you saw it. It's, it's the gift of grace that is often neglected. 
It seemed to be too hard. It seemed to be too controversial. It seemed to be something that divides Christians. It seems to be something of a theological gray area. As I'm going to show you this morning, I'm going to show you the greatest gift of grace. And there are some Christians that actually hate it. And you might be one of them here this morning. Did you see it in the passage? I want to show you a diagram that just sort of puts it all all together. And you'll be able to... uh, See how it all fits. Here's the picture. You see it? The preeminent foundational gift of grace is that we were chosen by the Father for the Son to receive all the glorious gifts of grace. We were chosen to be forgiven, chosen to be adopted, chosen to be resurrected, chosen to be redeemed, chosen to be filled, chosen to be justified, chosen to be glorified, and you can add them all on there. Who am I? I am chosen. Let me take you to my first heading, and we're going to unpack this carefully for you. Here's the first heading, the praise of salvation. Look at verse 3, where Paul starts off, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now just look at that word every. Every means the whole package. You have got the whole lot. Every single gift of grace is yours. The adoption, the redemption, the forgiveness, the resurrection, the filling, they're all yours. Every single one of them is yours in Christ. And have a look at that word spiritual. Spiritual means eternal. It means lasting. It means fixed as opposed to something that is earthy and passing and temporary. These gifts that we've just been speaking about, they're all ours. They're all in Christ. They're for us forever. They cannot be lost. They cannot be taken away. Every single one of them. And that's why where does the praise go? Praise to the Father. Praise to the Son. Praise to the Spirit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right at the start of this passage, what you've got is, is Paul, Paul this, this is a call to worship. It's a call to praise the Father and praise the Son and praise the Spirit because we have received every single eternal gift in Christ. And in fact, Paul is so overwhelmed at this point. You don't pick it up from the, from the English. But verses 3 to 14 in the Greek, it's one sentence without a breath. It just, it's like the stuff just pours out of Paul's pen through his finger. And he just writes and writes and writes. And somehow you've got to figure it out from the Greek where it all starts and where it all ends. The praise of salvation goes to who? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's dig a little deeper. Second heading. The origin of salvation, the origin. So look at it in verse 4, and here it comes. For he chose us, for he chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world to be holy 
and blameless. Put it this way. Where does the salvation begin for which Paul praises the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Where does it begin? For he chose us when? Before the creation of the world. Have a look at verse 5 if you've got your Bible open. In love, he predestined us. It's a similar word, different, slightly different nuance. Go down to verse 11. In him we were also chosen. Understand this. The salvation blessings, the salvation package, the whole lot, it didn't start when you got saved. The salvation that we have, it didn't start when you got born. It didn't start when you were conceived. It didn't start when God made the world. It started before the foundation of the world. It started in the sovereign grace that you were a gift from the Father to the Son. Let me put it this way. If we were not chosen by the Father for the Son in sovereign grace, none of the gifts would be ours. None of them. If we weren't chosen, we wouldn't be adopted. If we weren't chosen, we wouldn't be redeemed. We wouldn't be forgiven. We wouldn't be resurrected. We wouldn't be filled. It's because we are chosen that we receive every eternal gift of Christ, which is why all the praise and all the glory and all the honor goes to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know this morning that if you are in Christ, if you truly believe in Christ and you are born again, John 3, brother and sister, then I want you to know this, that you were chosen by the Father for the Son before the world began. You were chosen you were chosen to be adopted, chosen to be redeemed, chosen to be forgiven, resurrected, and filled. Here's a question that we've always got to ask. What does it mean for God to be God? What does it mean for God to be God? For God to be God means He is sovereign. It means He's in control of absolutely everyone and everything. And here is Paul's basic point. The result... The salvation of sinners is the result of God being God. You hear that? The result, uh, the, the salvation of sinners is the result of God being God. You realize this morning, brother and sister, because God is God, He chose you for Himself, unaided and uninfluenced by anything outside of Himself. If you were born again, it's because of the Father's will, not yours. You made absolutely no contribution to your first birth, and you made absolutely no contribution to your second birth, your rebirth. Let me just give you a couple of verses. Uh, Jesus put it like this in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In 1348 of Acts, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. You see that? And then take a look at it in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. We, we always ought to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in God. The truth. To be a Christian is to receive a calling from God that is irresistible. 
To be a Christian is to receive a God that, that, is, that, that, is, that is effectual. That God calls you effectually through the gospel. And he calls you and he chooses you in order that you might receive and gain all the glory of being in Christ. If God did not choose us before the foundation of the earth, God would not be God. And if you deny that God chose you, if you deny that the Father chose you before the foundation of the earth, you're actually denying that God is God. To be God is to be sovereign. It's to be in control of everything. Now, I want to say to you, I, this, stuff, this stuff is sometimes so offensive to Christians. This stuff is so, this, this truth is so, I want to say it's hated by some Christians. It's so distasteful, and I, I, I don't want to, maybe it is for you this morning, and you're hearing this, and everything inside of you is going, and you maybe feel like some of these guys. I, I, just a couple of pastors, evangelical pastors, leaders. Here's a couple of quotes. This is, this is how they feel about this stuff. To suggest that the merciful, long-suffering, gracious, and loving God of the Bible would invent a dreadful doctrine like election would have us believe it is an act of grace to select only certain people for heaven, and by exclusion, others for hell comes previously close to blasphemy. Election is blasphemy. Here's another one. The flawed philosophical theology of predestination is an attempt to eliminate man's capacity to exercise his free will, which reduces God's sovereign love to an act of a mere dictator. Blasphemy goes a dictator. Here's another one such as Calvinism, sovereignty, the most unreasonable, incongruous, self-contradictory, man-belittling, and God-dishonoring scheme of theology that has ever appeared in Christian thought. Divine sovereignty, misrepresentation of God, has caused many to turn away from the God of the Bible as from a monster. God is a monster. No sinner is capable of choosing God. No sinner is capable of choosing Christ. No sinner is capable of choosing salvation. If you've got your Bible, flick over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We were what? We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were, we were dead. We were blind. We were, we were wretched. We were, we were, we, we, we were double blind. We were, we were triple blind. Salvation is a work of God alone. And over and over, the Scriptures teach that God chooses His people whom He will save. Let me put it one other way. All Christians, I would say, I think it's safe to say that all genuine Christians, they say they're content to let God be the creator. They're content for God to be the benefactor. They're content for God to be the consummator of creation. They're content for God to be the, the, the bringer in of the new heavens and the new earth. But they resent the truth that God sits on the throne when it comes to salvation. God owes nothing to the sinful creature. He owes nothing, even when it is graciously given. Salvation, listen to this. Salvation is not a matter of justice or fairness. It's a matter of mercy and grace. Did you hear that? 
It's not a matter of fairness and justice. It's a matter of mercy and grace. Stephen Chonock, he put it, he put it well. When he said like this, he said, shall, shall God be God? His will or man's? If anyone's will is superior to God's will, frustrating God's will, God could not be God. That would be atheism or idolatry. Yet it is popular to dethrone God. There's the praise of salvation. There's the origin of salvation. And there are the motives. Now, now we get... And we're going to go a little deeper here. What's the question you're asking? What you should be asking? What was that, Estelle? Why? Why? Why does God choose? Let's make it a little bit more personal. You're sitting here. You're a Christian. You're faith in Christ. You've got the whole spiritual blessing. You are in Him. What's the question? Why? Why me? Why me? And the passage gives us two answers. You see the first one, end of verse 4 and into verse 5. In love he predestined. In love he chose. Now, just flick across here to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Look at this. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, you look at that. That's that sort of the present. You know, while we were dead, while we were sinful, while we were lost, while we were blind, while we didn't know where we were going, while we were in the darkness, we, 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 we were resurrected, if you like. We, our eyes were open. We were given the gospel. We were saved. We were set free. While we were dead, Grace and love and mercy, that's sort of the present. But if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 5 of Ephesians, the love starts where? Before the foundation of the earth. It isn't that God just loves me in the present, it's that He loved me in the past. He loved me in the past before the world began. Put it this way, before the world began, He chose to love us. God loved us before we existed. He loved us when we had no being. We love Him because He what? First loved us, right? We love Him because He first loved us before the foundation of the earth. It goes back so much further than the present. I don't know how to put it simpler. It's just as simple as this, and it's as profound as this. If you're a Christian here this morning, God chose to love you. He chose to love you in His grace and His mercy. He chose to create you in your mother's womb in time. He chose to bring you into this world. He chose to, 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 to save you at some time in this world. He has chosen to bring it to the fullness of eternity all because He chose you in Eternity past. Why? Because he chose to love you. But there's a second reason in the passage, and it comes through even stronger than, than that one. Follow with me. 
Why? Because it was his pleasure and will to do so. Why? Because it was to the praise of his glorious grace. Why? Because it was in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he wanted to lavish upon you. Why? Verse 11, because he works out everything in conformity with his purpose and will. Why? To the praise of his glory. Why? Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Listen, he chose you in love for the praise of his glory. He chose you in love so that you can praise His glory forever and ever and ever and ever. That you can praise His grace to you that has been lavished on you. He saved you so that, that He can show you His grace so that you can praise Him forever and ever and ever. And one day in eternity, be absolutely blown away with eternal joy. It starts now, but... He chose you in love to the praise of His glory. There aren't any other reasons. So what does this mean? I'm going to give you four words that sort of pull this right down to our day-to-day living as we, we go into 2022. And the first word is fear. Let me, let me start with COVID. Western Australia does continue to live in its little bubble, right? And not for too much longer, for the February is coming. What's the question that everybody's asking come fifth February? What's it gonna? What's it gonna look like? What does that look like? What's it gonna be like? How's it gonna affect our lives? But if God is God, and God is God, and God is sovereign, then He has absolute control over COVID from the beginning to the end, and absolutely everything in between. He decides when the borders come up, and He decides when the borders go down. It's not Mark that's in control. It's God that's in control. Our God is God, and He is sovereign. Or He's not God. And if there was ever verses that become something of an anthem, a mantra for us, it would be those words I read for you in Psalm 46 at the beginning. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the sea, though the waters roar, though the mountains quake, we will not fear because our God is what? Our God is God. This is a fearful world. I hope you've noticed that. This is a fearful world. And goodness knows what's behind COVID. What's lying behind that? What's coming after that? But here's the thing. God controls it all. He controls the beginning, the end, the middle, everything in between. God is working out all his purposes in the midst of everything so that every son and every daughter that he's chosen before the foundation of the world will come to salvation. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he said this. He said, he who believes he is elect of God, will he fear at all the world 
that stands against him. Can I read that again? He who believes he is elect of God, will he fear at all the world that stands against him? I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, at the start of 2022, that song that we sung right at the beginning, Behold your, behold your God. Behold your God seated on the throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. But there are other fears and anxieties we have, right? Not just COVID. There are other anxieties. I've got them, you've got them. When I look at them in my heart, I'm not talking about frogs. I'm talking about those, those resident anxieties that sit as a residue in the sinful body of death. And here's one of the verses that I need to go back to again and again, and I'm just mulling it, mulling it and going back to it again. Cast all your anxiety onto him for he cares for you. But here's the thing I realize. Oh, it's not just a care in the present. It's a care where? He cared for me and he loved me and he chose me before the foundation of the world. That's when he cared for me. And there's two, there's two lines from a song, one of my favorite Christian songs. Oh, it's not on there. Well, it goes like this. It says, I've tried in vain a thousand ways my fears to quell and my hopes to raise. I have to truly, we have to truly know the sovereign chosen love of the Father for us, who redeemed us, adopted us, forgave us, justified us, resurrected us, filled us. It's that. It's the sovereign love of the Father. That's what quells my fears. That is what raises my hope. And that's why in verse 17, this is the prayer that Paul prays after that long sentence in verses 3 to 14. Look what he prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. For what? So that you may know Him better. Know what about God? His sovereign, choosing, electing love for you. That's what He wants you to know. And I want to say this to you. Now, my brothers and sisters, I know there are some of you sitting here that will chafe as I preach this. I know that some of you may even say, if you were honest, you absolutely hate this doctrine. It's something that's distasteful. It's something you're finding offensive, maybe. I want to ask you, this is the truth. This is not a theological gray area. This is not a controversial area in the sense of whether it's false or true. This is the truth. And if this is something that truly offends you this morning, I want to ask you to pray verse 17. Ask the Father to give you His Spirit, to give you the Spirit of revelation and wisdom so that you may know Him better, that He will shine the light of the glory of Christ and His sovereign love into your heart. Ask Him to show you the truth. Ask Him to open this up. Look at the Word. Take it to Him. And, and brother and sister, if this is something that is sweet for you, if this is something of a, of a joy for you, even though you wrestle with it, 
when you pray today, pray that God will deepen this for you. You you can't believe this on your own. This is the Spirit's work to work deep within. Ask Him to press it in. Ask Him to stamp it in. Ask Him to get it right deep down because the way that we fight fear is with the sovereign, choosing, electing love of God. That's how you fight fear. Otherwise, you fight it in vain. So there's the first word, fear. Here's a second, security. Security. There are, there, are, there, are, there are two lies that Christians are very prone to take on. Well, there's many, but here's two. Here's the first one. One, that we can do something to lose our salvation. That's a lie. The other lie is connected to it, that we can do something to keep it. Both are lies. You see, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That only takes traction when the heart is grabbing the sovereign electing love of God. Let me put it to you this way. If the Father chose you as a bride for His Son before the foundation of the world, do you really think you could undo it with something? Do you really think you could lose it? If, if, God, if God chose you before the foundation of the world, now think about it the other way. If God chose you before the foundation of the world, do you really think there's something you can do to keep it? It's grace. From the beginning to the end. You see, that's why Paul writes it like this in Philippians 1.6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning. You know, if God chose you, you'll make it to the end. If he chose you there, you make it there. Let me show it to you in one of, it should be one of the sweetest verses for you in all of the Bible. And it's this one. And those he predestined, or those he called, uh, or those he chose, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So if he chose you in the past, he will justify you in the present, and he will glorify you in the I don't know what lies ahead in 2022 for you or for me. I have no idea. You're going to get COVID? Don't know. You die from COVID? I don't know. This could be your last year on earth. This could be my last year on this earth. But we need to know this. If we're chosen in Christ, we make it. We make it. He chose you, He called you, He justified you, and He will glorify you. Christian, you're going to make it. You're going to make it.
There's a third word for you, humility. Paul writes in Romans 3.27, he says, where is the boasting? Where's the boasting? It's excluded. There isn't anything. There isn't anything to boast about. Election is human pride crushing. Election is human pride crushing. Election is God exalting. Election is joy producing. Sovereign love is the sinner's hope. And it is election that is our strengthening for the battle. As we wage war against those evil desires. Can we at the start of this year, can we just humble ourselves as God's people under the sovereign love of the Father for us in Christ? Can we not boast that there is somehow some worth in us? Can we not boast that somehow we did something for it? Can we not boast that somehow there's something we can do to maintain it? One thing I hope is clear for you by now is that faith is a gift, isn't it? The way we receive the gifts is through faith. And just if you flick your eye over to Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. What's not from yourself? Faith. And salvation. This, uh, this, whole, this thing of humility... It, it can go into so many areas, it would take another couple of sermons, but l let me just apply it slightly this way. Can, can we also not boast in our ministry gifts this year? Whatever gifts God has given you to play music, to do Sunday school, kids' church, whatever it is, whatever ministry gifts God's given you, let's not boast in them. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, what do you, what do you have that you did not receive? Can you and I humble ourselves as a body of believers before one another that we are the worst sinners saved by grace? Can, can, can humility be, be, be the fabric? Can it be the, can it be the glue? Can it be the, can it be the tapestry that, that pulls us together? Can it be humility? Can we, can we, can we banish pride? Can we ba continue to banish pride and arrogance in this place, that we, in the way that we relate, in the way that we give, in the way that we serve, the way that we, that we come together. Let, 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 it, let, this, let BBC be a place of utter humility because here are chosen sinners in God's sovereign love. And then finally, You've got to finish where Paul starts, and you've got to finish where Paul finishes. So if we finish where Paul starts, where did he start in verse 3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And notice where he ends, and that's where we want to finish, to the praise of his glory in verse 14. And quite frankly, I don't have the words to try and express that to you. And so I'm going to call the music team and we're going to sing it. We're going to sing.